0: Welcome to Nadine Talks, a podcast about all the things that I like to talk about. Sometimes that could be TV, sometimes that could be film, music, or even my hair. So let's get on with the show. Okay, so let's get into Wonder Woman 1984. First things first, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, you have been warned. We open in Themyscira with a young Diana taking part in a physical competition, a bit like the toughest Olympic Games ever. And can I just say I love the work that Patty Jenkins does here and in the first movie. The world building is great, visually Themyscira is stunning, and across the two films we get a real sense of the Amazon-esque world that Diana grew up in. These opening 10 minutes are a real treat and in my opinion the best part of the film. We then jump to an 80s mall with Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord's cheesy oil tycoon advert playing in the background and a jewellery heist taking place, which Diana stops. And this is where the cons start for me. This sequence was so corny, fake and comedic, but not in the good way. The robbers weren't menacing, no one ever felt in danger, not even the little girl who was dangled over the balcony. It just didn't feel serious or real here, and for me, change in tone, not a fan of it. We then get a sense of Diana's lonely and solitary existence since the death of Steve and eventual passing of all the friends she made in the first film. Diana's isolation is self-imposed, whereas the next character we meet, Kirsten Wiggs' Barbara Minerva, is not. and She is ignored by everyone around her, not even being remembered by her boss who hired her. Both Diana and Barbara work at the Smithsonian, and when the FBI send one of the items stolen in the heist to Barbara for identification, Diana helps and the two start to form a friendship. Diana translates the inscription on the stone, which says it will grant one wish, and Diana knows exactly what she wants. Steve, maybe? Well, Barbara has no idea, although she knows the stone is not valuable, so takes the artifact to be a fake. After Barbara is attacked while walking home and Diana saves her while not in her Wonder Woman outfit, Barbara's girl crush explodes. She holds the stone and wishes to be like Diana, strong, sexy, cool and special. Hey girl, don't we all? The next day, Barbara awakes in her office and the awkward Barbara who could barely walk in heels is now light on her toes and turning the heads of all the guys. Suddenly, everyone remembers her name. She's introduced to the very fleshy and seemingly wealthy Lord, and the two really hit it off. But Diana is not so easily swayed by Lord's obviously fake charms. Barbara, however, she's smitten. Diana continues to research the stone and finds a connection to Lord. Uh Uh-oh. We then follow Lord to his company's head office and we see all that glitters is not gold. Lord and his company have a glamorous front, but go past the reception and we see the offices are unstaffed and the phones are not ringing. He has a son who has been promised a life of riches, as have the disgruntled investors who have had enough and want their money back. Diana arrives at a glamorous event for the museum, immediately getting the attention of some male attendees, but she's only there for Lord. Barbara then arrives and elicits a similar reaction. Lord puts the moves on Barbara, but it's only to get access to the stone, while Diana is hit on by guy after guy. However, a stranger repeats a phrase that gets her attention. It's Steve, but not in his body. This is another con, but we'll get to that a little bit later. So the pair catch up on the last 40 odd years and spend the night together waking in Steve's new apartment. They have your typical outfit change montage while Lord turns himself into the Wishstone, Yet another con and Barbara begins to realise how strong she is at her local gym. The scenes of Steve experiencing the future are cute and his reaction to seeing the planes and rockets of the 80s are just a little bit... Ah... Lord, who is now the wish stone, begins getting people to make the wishes he wants them to make. He used his one wish, turning himself into the stone. Plot hole steve and diana further investigate lord heading to his office where they discover he's on his way to cairo so they decide to steal a plane which steve somehow knows how to fly despite technology moving on a wee bit in the decades he's been dead and we get an appearance from the invisible jet cute nod to the original tv show barbara finds out the stone's origins and races over to tell diana but en route bumps into her tacker from earlier This time, however, Barbara is not the same as she was before and kicks the crap out of the guy, slowly, and rather enjoying it, but only stops when interrupted. Her heart and warmth are slipping away while her strength and confidence grows. Over in Cairo, Lord is trying to take over more oil farms, but in granting the oil baron's wish, a wall miraculously appears around the city, causing complete chaos, but Lord doesn't care as he got what he wanted. Steve and Diana catch up with Lord on his way out of town and we arrive at our first big action segment where we start to see that Diana is no longer invulnerable. To her and Steve's surprise, she is grazed by a bullet which draws blood. Throughout the car chase, Diana's weaknesses become more apparent as she tries to save some kids but falls from her lasso. And I want to take a minute here just to talk about the fact that we've really hit our first big action sequence and... Desperately lacking in this movie wasn't that great, Um, enjoyable, but not that great. Back in the US, Lord's wish granting is causing pandemonium with governments and economies around the world. Diana, Steve and Barbara meet with a Mayan descendant and they figure out the stone has a price. As the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for. Either the stone needs to be destroyed or you need to retract your wish. Neither Barbara or Diana are keen to take back their wishes, and Lord is busy granting wishes and paying the price with his health failing fast. The consequence of each wish granted is becoming more and more serious. Steve knows that they can't continue and tries to convince Diana to rescind her wish, but she refuses. The only thing she ever wanted was Steve. Lord gets a meeting with the president who wishes for more nukes. While Lord takes his power and respect and also finds out about the top secret satellite system which can broadcast to the entire world. At the White House, Diana and Steve nearly stop Lord, but Barbara saves him. A visibly depowered Diana and Barbara who stepped up on her animal prince but still in her human form face off. Diana tries to protect the White House staff while Barbara kicks her butt and Lord makes his escape. With the threat of war looming between the Soviet Union and the US, a battered Diana and Steve take to the streets which are completely overrun and in disarray. It's finally time for Diana to say a tearful goodbye as she accepts she needs to let Steve go in order for her strength to return and save the world. She walks away without a look back and renounces her wish. Leaping into the sky and hitching a ride from a passing plane, Diana learns how to fly. An ever-weakening Lord and a disillusioned Barbara fly off to fulfil Lord's quest for more power, with Barbara wishing to not be like anyone else, but to be something no one has ever seen before, an apex predator. Max goes live on the global satellite system and people across the world inadvertently make and receive their wishes. Even the random, I wish you'd drop dead, comes true. The final act sees Diana don the iconic gold-winged armour and takes out a few guards with ease, but before she makes it into the building, a very feline-looking Cheetah, a.k.a. Barbara, shows up, and the battle ensues. Diana incapacitates Cheetah, heading inside to deal with Lord. She surreptitiously uses her lasso to address the globe, pleading with everyone to renounce their wish while she shows them the truth. And that! is the end of the movie. I mean, the ending was okay, it was very thoughtful, but really lacked impact and wow factor. And for a movie with very little action sequences as it is, that's really disappointing. So I just wanna go back to some of the cons that I mentioned earlier. One in particular was Steve. Well, not so much Steve, because Chris Pine's performance was just as good as it was the last time, but why the body hijack trope? Not only was it unnecessary or needed, it certainly wasn't explained. They could have easily had Steve come back to life and still had the fun changing clothes montage. If they were trying to invoke 80s movies, they should have looked forward to Die Hard instead of 18 again or vice versa. All of which were released in the same year. Or better yet, they could have tried to emulate fellow Justice League a Batman, which was out a year later. For me, I just felt the movie was overall lacklustre. There were some really sweet, touching moments, and they revolved around Steve and Diana. The rest of the movie... <laughs> It was okay. If cinemas had been open and I had rushed out to see this, it would have been a little bit more of a disappointment. But for a stay at home and have something to watch, it's a fair shout. I love Pedro Pascal. I love The Mandalorian. He was fantastic as Maxwell Lord, sleazy tycoon, but as a villain, as a real threat, not so much yes he did grant wishes recklessly but did it matter i don't know it just the plot wasn't that great um I, it's disappointing i really liked the first movie this one not so much so my overall rating i'm probably going to give this a 6 out of 10 out Why don't you join the conversation at MissNads22 on Twitter. Let's get talking.